Well, welcome to the Water Cooler, everybody. I'm David Brody. We are glad you're with us. It's Thursday, December 3rd, 2020. Uh, I'm hungry, but that's a separate issue. Anyhow, another day, another hearing on voter election fraud. This one down in Georgia. The results may be certified, but will the GOP-controlled state legislature stand up and say not so fast? We're going to drill down on that. Plus, the president tweeting about the air quote Republican governor of Georgia saying that he must immediately allow signature verification matches because if they do, Trump says, I'll win. And we're going in depth on today's show regarding voter fraud. Two whistleblowers are going to be with us to give us details on what they saw. But first, we're going to bring you our interview with Pennsylvania State Senator Doug Mastriano. He's leading the charge in the Keystone State to try and get the GOP state legislature to declare the results of the vote in Pennsylvania in dispute. Here's our conversation from earlier today. Senator Mastriano, I really appreciate you joining me here. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on in these strange times. For sure. And you're right in the thick of all of these strange times. I want to kind of get the latest uh, from the Pennsylvania legislature standpoint. What are you hearing? What do you think the road forward here is at this point? Because I know there's a concern that some of your Republican colleagues may not necessarily be uh, on board with some of what, what you've been saying in the resolution that you've introduced there in Pennsylvania. So uh, obviously last week it was earth changing as far as what happened in Gettysburg, changed the conversation and even the media had to cover stuff even though they really didn't want to because you know facts are stubborn things. And so of course myself and my colleagues in the house introduced a uh, resolution saying we should you know seize back our power of appointing electors and we need to do an investigation on this election and uh, find out what the heck happened. And so obviously there's a lot of discussions in caucus. The strange thing is every two years on the 30th of November, the General Assembly in Pennsylvania goes lame duck for a month. And so we're trying to get the governor to, to call us back in for a special session because our view is regardless of Republican or Democrat, if any Pennsylvanian feels disenfranchised and has evidence as we demonstrated last week, they should have a fair hearing and we need to get it sorted out and fixed. But uh, sadly, our governor, Tom Wolf, has a record of when being uh, given the opportunity to do the right thing, consistently chooses to do the wrong thing. So we're, we're in an uphill slugfest. Uh, I hope we can prevail upon him and the people of Pennsylvania hopefully should let their voices be heard to the governor that he needs to act. What's your sense on timing of all of this? I mean, can the governor, I mean, when, when do you think the governor would decide or, or could, could decide or, or won't decide at all? One thing that's that's really uh, admirable about the Democrats is, is they're very strategic and they know how to run out the clock. You know, many of the changes to the election law that we had, of course, happened right before the election. So we're like at a loss. How do we fix it? It's too late. And so I think the governor is going to try to run out the clock unless he feels uh, an extraordinary amount of pressure from the people of Pennsylvania. I think he's just going to try to just lay low and not say anything. So it, it, it's a struggle. And it, it's just too darn bad because I could care less. You know, someone who put his life on the line for my country, and I'm no hero, I served with heroes, but 30 years in, in uniform, I don't look at things through partisan lenses. Although, you know, the media might might think that based off my, my words, but no, it's always what's, what I view as the betterment of my country. And I would think and hope that the governor would have the best interests of Pennsylvania since he took his oath on the Bible for the Pennsylvania Constitution, U.S. Constitution, to do the right thing. But I just don't see it, though, sadly. Talk to me a little bit uh, regarding partisanship. You mentioned, you know, you try to stay away from that. The, the truth of the matter is there are some Republicans in the state legislature that just don't seem to necessarily be having the same vociferous uh, dispute on this that, that, that you do. Like, for example, what, what's the deal with uh, House Speaker Brian Cutler and some other folks? I mean, where, where are they on all of this? You know, I, I would ask anyone who has. Now, look, 
let's have a debate. And, and that's one thing interesting yeah. about conservatives as well, because we all think independently, you know, we don't get in line much like the left, like the Democrats, they, they line up and they march forward, mm -hmm. you know, with such unity. Uh, on our side here, I'll ask everyone not to rush to judgment, just as we did. And that's why I held a hearing last week. I, you know, I, I'm, I was so frustrated that I'm hearing from people, literally tens of thousands of people are contacting me, help me. I was disenfranchised. I was cheated. I saw this. And they weren't given a voice. So I'm like, forget it. I'm, I just need to hold a hearing to find out what the heck happened. L let the chips fall where they may. And it changed everything. You know, then Arizona follows suit, Michigan follows suit. I mean, that's fantastic. Let's just have the truth. Because as John Adams said, facts are stubborn things. Mm -hmm. So on the Republican side, to answer your question, David, is uh, please just take a couple minutes and review the, the, the hearing. Listen to the eyewitnesses. You know, I, I, it's very compelling and convincing. And they took all this. On, they sworn affidavits. I have hundreds of pages of affidavits. I will give you a copy of it if you want to, to, to make your own decision. But it's very compelling. Something really went wrong in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And so where does it, just back to those Republicans real quick. So wouldn't it be important for more of those Republicans to step forward and, and kind of speak as one voice? I, it doesn't seem like it's happening as much as you'd like it to. Yeah, we do need unity of effort. You know, we, we did caucus yesterday on the Republican Senate side there. And, and there was, I would say the majority of us know what to do and, and want to push forward and want action. You know, the people of our state, you know, have hired us on, have trusted us to, to represent them and be their voices. I represent, you know, more than a quarter million people in Pennsylvania, including Gettysburg. And uh, I'm, by God, I'm not going to stand aside. I'm going to, I'm going to say truth, speak truth to power. I'm going to do all that I can here to have their voices be heard and to fix, to take a look at and, and, and remedy anything that's gone wrong in Pennsylvania. Yeah. You know, we've heard about the Great Depression in years gone by. Uh, I, I think what we're watching now is the Great Suppression uh, by the media. I mean, I mean, you talk about affidavits that you can provide, and there's so many others that have all of this uh, evidence-based uh, information out there, and the media doesn't cover it at all. So well, what, what's your message to the media uh, in terms of what, they, what you've seen? And so my concluding remarks are a little bit, you know, uh, in their face because I said, you're complicit. Why did I have to find these, these eyewitnesses? They're, they've been in the public eye. Why did it take right. Senator Mastriana to bring them forth? I said, media, that's your job. And as a result, you're complicit in the breakdown and failure of our republic because they have a powerful and important role to play in our republic unless they're in the pocket of a party. And you see clearly they're in the pocket of the party. So instead of talking about my hearings, they want to talk about COVID. I mean, what a distraction. And they're all about red herring, you know, ad hominem attacks. So if they can't distract you, they'll start calling you names. And so we need a new modern media of which you represent that's going to be the voice of the people. That's going to, hey, just the facts, ma'am. You know, what happened? And you guys decide. And that's exactly what my hearing was about. And facts really did stir up things across the state. And, and they're, having a trouble, they're having trouble hiding from the fact that something really went wrong in Pennsylvania and they need to do their darn jobs to start reporting on it. What did you make of Bill Barr's comments uh, about, uh, about widespread fraud, that he hasn't seen that? I, and the media seems to leave out the part to date. In other words, so far, I haven't seen anything. But, but still, you're, you're mentioning so much information, uh, Michigan, Arizona, so, Georgia. Georgia's a mess. Uh, wh where is the DOJ exactly on this, uh, Senator? Yes, uh, David, you got me. You know, I, I listened to his remarks. I'm like, so what investigation, you know, 
Attorney General Barr, are you referring to, you know, has your agency deep dived on Pennsylvania or Georgia or Michigan or Arizona or Nevada? So what exactly we're referring to? And of course, when he was asked for specificity the next day, he, he, he walked it back, of course, and the media doesn't want to talk about that because like typical leftists, they're, they're going to grab on whatever advances their agenda, their story. And I'm like, just stop doing that. Just, just report the facts. And if, if, you know, it's important that in, in these times that try our souls and there's so many questions that we have intellectual curiosity and probing hard questions for both sides. And it's interesting to me that the media only wants to have intellectual curiosity and probing questions when it's against a conservative Republican or against President Trump. But when it's against Wolf or their party or Biden or the results that they think went for Biden, of course, suddenly like oh, nothing to see here, you know, get over it, time to get together. And I'm like thinking in 2000 Bush v. Gore, you, you know, be patient, there's a process. And I'm like today, be patient, there's a process, and Donald Trump has a right as an American to walk that process through the courts just as we did with, with Bush v. Gore in 2000. I'm wondering how you think all of this ends. Uh, obviously, the chances, it's, it's a long shot to say the least uh, for this president to actually pull, pull this off in the end, but, but how do you think all, all of this ends in Pennsylvania and, and nationwide? Yeah, you know, my hope is, you know, may, may the, the guy who won fair and square win. And uh, that's just the thing. Pennsylvania and the other states, you know, of course, we'll be disappointed if our guy didn't win. But let, let whoever won fair and square stand up. And if this race was so corrupted as it looks like it was, we're going to need the U.S. Supreme Court to step in and make some hard decisions. The ultimate decision right now is in the hands of the U.S. Supreme Court. And so that's where all our eyes are going to right now. And it's going to be, you know, a historic decision either way. But what I do know for sure is a lot of bad things happen in Pennsylvania. People need to go to jail. We need fair and free elections. David, if I can conclude with one thought, you know, I served many times in Afghanistan. I supported the mission in, in the Balkans, also in the Baltics. And it amazes me that we'll move heaven and earth to ensure safe and free elections in foreign countries. We'll make sure there's ID cards, there's security, there's retinal scans, bio scans, one person, one legal vote. And we go to all these extents in Afghanistan that has a fairer, more free, more secure election than Pennsylvania. And we can't do that in our own state where it all started in 1776. Houston, we got a problem and we need to fix it. Yeah. And by the way, those courts, the critics will say that the Trump, Trump uh, campaign and is losing in courts across the country, especially in Pennsylvania, where that Third Circuit uh, judge ruled against them. There's been, and of course, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court over the weekend. What do you say to the courts, uh, you know, the judges that are that are ruling in these cases? You know, some of the judges are, are, are good, reputable, uh, you know, men and women sure. here. So I'm not going to bring castigation on, on any of them. It's the burden really up is up to the, uh, the Trump administration, David, to make their case. And it's going to have to be compelling. You know, we do have a precedent in 1994 in Pennsylvania where there was a state Senate race, uh, Marks versus Stinson. The Democrats cheated so bad to get their guy Stinson in office. Yeah. He was sworn in serving. And then the judge found out, thanks to Marks' law case, that the, the election was so corrupted that the federal district judge threw out the results, to, ordered the, the, the Democrat senator out of Harrisburg and put the loser Republican in because the results were so corrupted. Yeah. If the Trump administration can make a case that there was broad, systematic, extensive fraud, abuse, and cheating, you know, make the, the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania has that precedent. But the burden is on the Trump administration to make that argument. Senator Mastriano, really a pleasure. Uh, thanks for being here on the water cooler. Thank you. God bless you guys. Thanks for putting the word out there. You bet. That is uh, State Senator uh, Doug Mastriano uh, here on the water cooler. We're back in a moment with Phil Klein talking about what's going on in Georgia, Michigan, and other places. 
Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Uh, look, we're really taking a deep dive into all the election voter fraud that has gone on in this presidential election. I, I want to show you something going on with whistleblowers now uh, in the state of, uh, well, I say the state of Michigan. Actually, it's uh, Pennsylvania, New York, a lot of different places going on. This is the Just the News headline. Whistleblowers allege ballots illegally cross state lines, ballot backdating, digital manipulation, all going on there. And the testimony provides powerful eyewitness accounts of potential ballot fraud on a massive scale. That according to Amistad uh, Project Director Phil Klein. And what a great transition because Phil Klein uh, joining us now here on the water cooler. Hey, Phil, thanks for being here. I appreciate it. You bet, David. Thank you. I'm not quite sure where to begin. There's just so much to unpack. Why don't we start there with the whistleblowers, a big press conference you had this week with them. Um, What's the allegation and how powerful is it, Phil? Well, it tells the full story of how fraud on a massive scale can occur. We start with Jesse Morgan, who is a truck driver for a subcontractor of the United States Postal Service, who was running his regular route. He did this every day for over 30 days on this same route from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, up to Bethpage, New York, back to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and then back over the short jaunt to Lancaster, where he ended his day, unhooked his trailer, went back to his tractor, parked it, went home. Next day, same thing. Take his tractor, hook up to the same trailer, run the route again. But on October 21st, as they're loading up his truck at the United States Postal Service Center in Bethpage, New York, they loaded up hundreds of thousands of completed ballots. Mm. Now, those are ballots with the return address. They're in the envelope. They're ready to be counted. And unless over a quarter of a million Pennsylvanians vacationed in New York and decided to vote on the same day, there's no reason for these ballots to be moving from there. Mm-hmm. Moreover, this Postal Service Center doesn't even process mail. It's not designed to intake this type of stuff. So they load it on his truck. He goes down to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and somebody there prevents him from unloading. They won't open up the truck. They won't let anybody see inside. I believe they loaded the wrong truck. And so they ordered him over to Lancaster, and he was ordered to drop his load. All of this violates United States Postal Service uh, process and procedures. And he's ordered to detach from his trailer to go home. He does. Now, the next day, what he's supposed to do is go hook up to the same trailer. They should have unloaded it and loaded it with new mail. And the trailer's gone. 10R1440 has disappeared, not to be seen. That's one whistleblower. And that's Jesse Morgan. Now we move down the line, we've got another whistleblower. And he is coming in. He's a subcontractor, comes into the Postal Service on the morning of November 4th. He is told, you know what, in your delivery, you forgot ballots. So we have found all these ballots that we're now going to deliver. And by the way, we've got over 100,000 of these ballots that we have found. And he says that's a lie. He had all of his ballots easily delivered well before Election Day, and now they're claiming they found all these ballots. 
Then we go to our third whistleblower, Delaware County, Pennsylvania, 4 a.m. on November 4th. Suddenly, a big ballot dump, predominantly for the vice president, as they're counted. And these ballots were delivered in the same type of trays, organized in the same fashion as the ballots that were loaded on Jesse Morgan's truck. Now, that deserves investigation. Yeah, and the media has been absolutely silent on all of this. They want to see evidence, and, and, and there you go, uh, providing some of what they should look into, and they don't do it. Hey, uh, Phil, I want to ask you about something you put up this morning. Apparently, the Amistad Project filed a motion uh, last night in Maricopa County Superior Court contesting the election results there. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Then I want to talk about Georgia real quick, too. Yes, we have filed multiple of these lawsuits, and what we've done is we've identified all of the sidestepping of procedures, the illegalities, and and the 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 undermining of the legislative procedures for managing the elections in these urban core centers. And then we identified the number of ballots affected by that mismanagement. And, and we reached out to voters. Mm -hmm. For example, we saw the potential of fraudulent ballots being entered into the voting stream under somebody else's name. And we've identified tens of thousands, I think in the five states, over 100,000 ballots that were requested, <clears throat> excuse me, and voted. And the voter said, I never requested a ballot and I didn't vote. Mm -hmm. Yet those ballots were requested and voted. We've identified tens of thousands of Republican voters who did vote, but the records show they weren't counted. And so we're doing all of these categories, and right. that's a part of our litigation. And the experts say that the number of ballots in question exceeds a million in these five states. Phil, I want to quickly get to Georgia before we let you go. Uh, today they had a hearing down there, the Senate did, uh, and there was the counsel, one of the counsel to the Secretary of State was defending the audit process. So I want you to have a listen to this. Um. I'm glad you asked about um, an audit of the machines. Uh, that's something that, that we've already done. We had a uh, independent voting system testing lab come in after the election uh, and, and audit a uh, cross section of, of our machines. I, th I think we've released those results to you guys, but, but I'm happy to recirculate them. Uh, and what they found was no, the machines were working um, exactly properly. The software on the machines is exactly what's supposed to be on there. There's a thing called a hash value where we know the expected hash value. If someone gets in and changes something, then uh, the hash value is not going to match. Uh, and you can't, if you're going to have any kind of uh, code or something like that, then uh, or any kind of um, virus, the hash value is going to change. So they go in. Well, Phil, that's a portion of what that's all about. Uh, I've got about 30 or 40 seconds. What's your reaction on what they're saying in Georgia? It's a mess down there. Well, it's several fold. First of all, we're talking about the insertion of fraudulent ballots, and, and that would not affect the machines. You could audit the machines and never identify the fraudulent ballots. You have to grab the ballots is what you have to do. Mm -hmm. And additionally, the forensic examination of these machines needs to include a full printout for everybody of the computer logs. So everybody can challenge what is being said. Those computer logs do not reveal any information as it relates to the individual voter. They just show how the machine counted and whether there were any improper inputs into that machine. I will also add this. We have evidence that these machines, including hard drives and also jump drives or V-chips of Dominion, mm -hmm. were inserted and they were pulled out by people without a chain of custody of those yeah. V-chips. Yeah. That would eliminate 
any ability to audit. So in, in a legitimate fashion, the audit would just simply sure. confirm the fraud. So um, more is needed. Yeah, more for, for sure. And we need to have you back on the show to, to, to delve into that. Uh, Phil Klein, really appreciate uh, your work on all of this. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right. Uh, Phil Klein out there, uh, he would say, and it's, a lot of people would agree, fighting a good fight. Back in a moment. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. All right, uh, Donald Trump, the president of the United States, says there's a lot of voter fraud going on. The attorney general says, uh, you know what, to date, uh, we really haven't seen uh, widespread voter fraud. Here is the president's reaction today in the Oval Office. I ask you to respond to the comments by your attorney general who indicated he has not seen at this point any evidence of fraud enough to overturn the election results. Given that, why is now not the time to concede? Well, he hasn't done anything, so he hasn't looked. When he looks, he'll see the kind of evidence that right now you're seeing in the Georgia Senate. You know, they're going through hearings right now in Georgia, and they're finding tremendous volumes. So they haven't looked very hard which is a disappointment, to be honest with you, because it's massive fraud. Uh, whether you go to Wisconsin, where we just filed a case, or Michigan, or if you look at what's happening in Georgia, as an example, or Pennsylvania, uh, if you look at uh, Nevada, which is moving along very rapidly, or Arizona, you saw those numbers come out yesterday. We found massive fraud, and in other states also. This is a probably the most fraudulent election that anyone's ever seen. Do you still have confidence in uh, ask me that in a number of weeks from now. Uh, they should be looking at all of this fraud. This is not civil. He thought it was civil. This is not civil. This is criminal stuff. This is very bad criminal stuff. So I just say this. Uh, we went through an election. Uh, at 10 o'clock, everybody said that was an easy victory for Trump. All of a sudden, the votes started disappearing, miraculously disappearing. We found much of it. But we found far more votes than we need in almost all of these states. And I think I can say in all of these states, far more votes than we need to win every one of them. And I want to just thank my team, because my team is doing an unbelievable job. And more importantly, I want to thank the 74 million-plus people that voted, which Lou is the largest amount of people that a sitting president has ever had, 74 million-plus. And because the level of, of uh, loyalty, I've never seen anything like it. All over the country, they know it was a fixed election. It was a rigged election. They know it, and I appreciate their support. Thank you Mr. all very President, much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. More on all of that in a little bit. But first, we're joined by uh, a man by the name of Jesse Morgan. You've probably seen him. 
Here we are. Uh, Jesse, good to see you, sir. Good to see you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. You're a USPS contract, subcontractor. Yes, sir. Uh, who, uh, look, you've made the rounds. You're out there. Millions have seen your video now. You realize that. <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yeah, tell me about your story. We had Phil Klein on earlier who was telling me. Uh, oh, Phil was here? Yeah, Phil was here. All right. Tell me about the story. T tell me your story a little bit. First, let me say, Please, I, need, I need to clarify something because yeah. during that presser, I, I kind of called him an a-hole. But I didn't. I wanted to come back and say um, he's a really good guy, which he really is a good guy, right? Like he he really is. I, I have to clarify that up. Just I'm glad for you him, did. Right? I'm glad you did. Um, but anyways, so that day, basically what happened here um, it was everything started out normal. I, I went to Lancaster, picked up my truck, picked up my trailer, rolled out the Beth page, mm -hmm. checked in, hit my dock door, went in, and that's when everything started going different. Um, I went in. I gave the lady my slip, my ticket. The ticket's like what my paperwork. It has uh, my trailer info. It has uh, the time, date, my name, how, what, how much is loaded. Mm -hmm. You know, it has all of that on it. The seal number. Um, and I gave it to the lady, and she goes, uh, uh, "How's your day going?" I'm like, "Pretty good. How's yours?" And she's like, "Good." You know, she's like, "I'm just letting you know today you're taking back a, a bunch of uh, mail and ballots." And I said, excuse me? She's like, you're taking back a bunch of mail and ballots. And I was like, mm. oh, I'm like, oh, that's cool, you know? And like, so we start walking in the trailer, and like, I'm just thinking, I'm like, this is neat. Like, I'm doing something for this presidential uh, election. I'm like, so cool, you know? Like, whatever, and like, neat, you know? And um, I, I watched them finish unloading my trailer, and then they bring, they start bringing, they first they brought up the Lancaster pallets. Mm -hmm. And I knew they were Lancaster because on the front of them they have, uh, these placards, like a piece of paper, they'll say Lancaster. They don't have a barcode for them to scan it off. Okay. Um, so they put them on. They're taller, and then the rest was Harrisburg. You know, they're Harrisburg because they all have placards on them that said mm -hmm. Harrisburg with this barcode, so they can scan them off. Mm -hmm. um, these were smaller. They're probably like three and a half feet high. Like okay. I mean, come up to my waist. They're they called Gaylords, but they're basically big brown cardboard boxes mm -hmm. sitting on a pallet. Mm -hmm. Um, so anyways, uh, inside of them, they had totes or bins, whatever you want to call them. They're kind of tapered. They fit inside of each other. So basically what they do is they'll put a row of mail in and then stick the other tote on top mm -hmm. or the bin. The row. So that's how they were in the, the Gaylords, okay? okay. Um, and then as they were bringing them in, I could see how um, from them transporting them on the, the forklifts, if with them bumping, like some of the mail came up on top. Yeah. Some of the ballots came up top, and that's how I could I could identify. Like, yeah, these were all ballots. Okay. All right. So go ahead. We got about a minute and a half. So just get, right. go ahead. Do your thing. So they they and I I didn't take a look at the addresses on them. Like I could see the handwriting in the top corner, but I didn't see them every single pallet because all of them didn't have them come up. But some you know first one five down, seven down. You know all yeah. the way to twenty four. I bring it back to Harrisburg, and I was made to wait probably for about six hours. Mm -hmm. I got there around 9.15, left yeah. a little after 3. Um, uh, when I went in, and I'm like, what's going on? They, they bring down this transportation supervisor, which I never talked to before. Mm -hmm. Never, never before. Never did I ever talk to a transportation yeah. supervisor. And he told me to, to take the load and drop it off in Lancaster. So you go to Lancaster. I go to Lancaster. He wouldn't give me a, a, my my ticket stating I was there, you know, yeah. no ticket. He wouldn't give me a late slip. So uh, 
Like, usually I'll get a late slip if I sat somewhere so that way I could get paid for it. Mm -hmm. I had to reach out to my boss and and tell him about it through text and everything. So I drop it off in Lancaster. Um, I drop my truck off, get my car, I go home. The next day I come back in and the trailer is gone. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen the trailer since. Yeah. Uh, and clearly your story has been told everywhere, but the mainstream media is ignoring it, by the way. You oh, I know, I know. And, and it's a shame on them, you know, a shame on them that you, you I mean, hey, I can only speculate, but I, maybe mm-hmm. take your hand out of somebody, uh, some people's pockets, you know. Um, mm-hmm. What I'll say, though, is I know there's other people like me out there, yep. I, and I know there are. Come forward. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Don't be intimidated. And uh, I'm going to say tell everyone do the right thing. And your 10-second message to President Trump who's fighting this type of stuff? Uh, my 10-second message would be, uh, <laughs> hey, I'm here for you, brother. I'm here for you, man. Just trying to do the right thing, man. Just trying to do the right thing. Jesse Morgan, thanks. Thanks for speaking out. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. We're back in a moment with more show. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. We're talking a lot about election voter fraud, and it's brought a lot of stress to uh, millions and millions of Americans out there. Speaking of stress, Uh, we think of COVID-19. And thinking of stress, we think of opioids because of the mental health issues, not only associated with opioids, but associated with COVID-19. You put them together and you've got a major crisis brewing in America. I want to bring in Dr. John Rosa, the owner of Accessible Beltway Clinics uh, and a surrogate uh, for the White House on the opioid epidemic. Dr. Rosa, thanks for being here. I appreciate it. I appreciate the invite. I'm happy to be here. Well, talk to us a little bit about what you're seeing as it relates to the opioid crisis. Uh, COVID-19 gets all the headlines, but there seems to be a direct relation between both of them. Yeah, I mean, we had headlines galore when it came to the opioid crisis for a while, and especially when we're looking at some of the drug companies that were having lawsuits involved. So the news cycle was there. But when COVID hit, obviously, it took front and center. Uh, just to get a little bit of arms around the opioid crisis, you're looking at something that's taking 160 lives plus a day. Um, you know, 90 babies are born every single day with an addiction to opioids that we see in the hospitals. This is every day. Now, when we have 90% of all the opioids, whether they're prescription or illicit, consumed by the United States of America, which is only 5% of the world's population, you think we have a problem. This is pre-COVID. So again, 5% of the world's population, we consume 90% of all opioids made, illicit or prescription. And then we have 80% of heroin users that tie back their use that's starting with a prescription pill. So this opioid crisis has been building for years. I mean, it's been, if we look at at the actual crisis and where the vulnerable people are, Mm -hmm. we'll we'll look at a, I'll, I'll use an example of a set of twins. So if we have a, a, a person who's, their life is really going well, they're, they're successful, married, have a few children, very happy, um, and they twist their ankle, go to the hospital, get a prescription for Percocet or Oxycontin, uh, and they don't feel very good on it, they don't like the way they are, they don't fit, just makes them feel a little bit uncomfortable. That's because their system is making enough dopamine and serotonin and things, those happy, feel-good chemicals that we have, 
that keep you kind of moving forward, progress. And the same twin may be in a different situation and they're live, they've lost their job for the third time in a few months and their children don't like them because they're drinking too much and maybe their relationship with their spouse is not that good and life's not the same. Well, those dopamine and serotonin productions go down and when they take that prescription with the same twisted ankle, it changes their outlook on what's around. So it's going to this mental health state that we're talking about where COVID, if you think about mental health and COVID, it punched mm -hmm. It punched this crisis in the teeth. Mm. I mean, it's it's a well, it, when you you're you're looking at uh, you're looking at a population base of people who are looking around at this invisible storm around them with masks on their face. We have strife in the streets. We have an election cycle that was just hard, and it still continues. Right. So people are angst about that. We have the West Coast on fire and the East and the Gulf Coast underwater. Like you literally can't turn on the television and feel comfortable. Now, when you have the holidays that pop into this whole thing and you 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 place in the fact that you can't see your loved ones, you're isolated. And the whole reason where addiction kicks in, where people that isolate and not feeling well, not producing those feel good chemicals, loneliness in general, yeah. when you have that in abundance, if you were taking prescriptions before, you're looking for them. If you were on other things, you're looking for them. Um, or if, God forbid, you have pain and you don't feel comfortable going to see a doctor or an integrative medicine specialist, like yeah. we are offices. We have medicine, chiropractic, physical therapy, acupuncture. If you can't get access to those things that are drug-free, surgery-free, mm -hmm then you're gonna get prescribed something that's gonna make you feel better and not just from pain. I wanna pick up on that point. I do wanna show you what the American Medical Association has put out, uh, and obviously you've seen a lot of these reports, but this is what they're saying. Uh, they're saying reports of increases in opioid and other drug-related overdose and other concerns during COVID pandemic. And then they go on to say more than 40 states have reported increases in opioid-related mortality, as well as ongoing concerns uh, for those with a mental illness or substance use disorder. And it kind of, I want to ask you about the prescription part of it, part of this, because I know this has been a big thing for you to, to make sure people are not relying on these prescriptions and finding other ways. Right. I, I, I you have that increase. We had a slight decrease. We were celebrating it because there was so much attention paid on this and 17 to 18, it was the first time ever we had like a 4.1% decrease in these overdose related deaths. Then in pre-COVID in 18 through 19, it went up 4.6% to the highest level ever. So we really had this slow tick, I think, in the way prescriptions were being written. Doctors, everybody was a little frightened. And then it, it goes away and we go back to the, uh, the same level. And fentanyl, which is coming across our borders and getting mixed into the, um, the use, is what really is now escalating those number of deaths. But you have, you have this currently anywhere from 50 to 30% increase through the numbers from March to now. We didn't even get through a full year cycle from March to March where we can calculate. There's a 15% in some of the less affected areas and 30% increase in the hard hit areas in the Appalachians and Ohio. And I mean, that's drastic. I mean, we are in an epidemic of losing that many people. That means when they calculate, it may end up being that there's close to 200 people a day dying of an overdose. And I look, we understand COVID. COVID is an issue. Like this is not, this is no joke. I mean, this hospital systems, the the current infection rate, the deaths. We can't look past the fact that we're in a pandemic. 
But we cannot forget to, that there's epidemics that's taking lives at an incredible rate. And I'm worried about the mental health status of what we look at in the future. This carries on. We have our children not understanding how to how to communicate, their, the, the fright level. Like our, our system is designed for flight or fright for an instant. So the lion that's chasing me, I have to run. But he doesn't chase me all day. He's not, the guy, this thing's not chasing me all day for eight months. But yet we have this in our system now. This is, it's really, I, I really, really, I thank you for letting me come on and actually speak about this because the level of importance is beyond something that we can, you know, COVID's going to go away yeah. and it may take yeah. us some more stuff to deal with, but this isn't. And this is actually the tsunami of emotional and mental health issues that are occurring right now that are just building up are so far offshore, yet the death rate's rising. Yeah. I don't want to be around when that wave hits, hits land and we're looking at it. Well, Dr. Rosa, I really appreciate you coming on and giving us all this perspective. We'd love to have you come back on as we move to, uh, uh, to, to into January with the new administration, uh, potentially the new yeah. administration, and talk about it from that perspective. So thanks again. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. Dr. Rosa here uh, on the water cooler. And boy, I tell you what, uh, we've done a lot, of, uh, a lot of segments here that are extremely important. M maybe none more than that one. Back in a moment. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's gonna be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. And welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Uh, all right, look, uh, President Trump said he just gave his uh, possibly his most important speech ever. It went 46 minutes long. Here's a little bit of it. This may be the most important speech I've ever made. I want to provide an update on our ongoing efforts to expose the tremendous voter fraud and irregularities which took place during the ridiculously long November 3rd elections. We used to have what was called Election Day. Now we have Election Days, weeks and months, and lots of bad things happened during this ridiculous period of time, especially when you have to prove almost nothing to exercise our greatest privilege, the right to vote. As President, I have no higher duty than to defend the laws and the Constitution of the United States. That is why I am determined to protect our election system, which is now under coordinated assault and siege. For months leading up to the presidential election, we were warned that we should not declare a premature victory. We were told repeatedly that it would take weeks, if not months, to determine the winner, to count the absentee ballots, and to verify the results. My opponent was told to stay away from the election. Don't campaign. We don't need you. We've got it. This election is done. In fact, they were acting like they already knew what the outcome was going to be. They had it covered, and perhaps they did, very sadly for our country. It was all very, very strange. 
And then look at this. The liberal minions in the Washington Post say this, escalating his attack on democracy from within the White House, they talk about. And look at the headline they put. Trump escalates baseless attacks on election with 46-minute video rant. That's what they call it. By the way, that's not an editorial from the Washington Post. That's their actual news article calling it a rant. And they go on and on. Let's move on to a few other uh, interesting parts of the article. Once again, an article. It's not an actual um, uh, editorial. They also say it's a rambling and bellicose monologue. And also they talk about Trump's baseless accusations of voter, of voter fraud in Georgia. Hey, by the way, Washington Post, this just in, baseless accusations of voter fraud. Have you read one affidavit? Have you listened to any interview other than the Georgia Secretary of State? I mean, maybe, and forget Sidney Powell for a second. I'm not talking about Sidney Powell. I'm talking about people like Phil Klein, we were on the show earlier, and a lot of other witnesses. Last sip, back in a moment. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this, central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Welcome back to the water cool. I like how I time I time the uh, the uh, what is that called? Is that a jingle? I don't know. It's a sh- it's a show jingle. It's an intro. Madison tells me it's an intro. Great. Uh, time now for uh, Sophie Mann with just the news. I'm never going to call you Sophie News again, by the way. Why? <laughs> Why you want me to? <laughs> I just wondered what have I done to lose that position? Nothing. No, it's your brand for sure. It's okay, your brand. But right. I kinda, Sophie Mann just kind of works. That it, I would hope. I mean, it's just my name. <laughs> it's just your name. Okay, we're really kind of, yeah, yeah. Uh, unpacking that too much. Okay, uh, let's talk about Mo Brooks. Yeah. This is a name that people need to kind of know and understand. They about do. What, yeah, what's good. Talk to me about Mo Brooks, the congressman. So Mo Brooks, as you say, is a congressman from Alabama, um, staunch GOPer. He uh, told Politico earlier this week that he, on January 6th, is planning to contest the electors. So, you know, the c- Congress convenes and they the electors vote and at that point a new president is officially elected but what mo brooks the possibility that he is now exploring is basically saying i contest these results Mm -hmm. and what does that mean so he's a member of the house if a member of the senate gets up and says i agree with mo brooks i contest them as well Mm -hmm. then a discussion is triggered and what that discussion would be is we contest the results of this election. We don't agree with the electors. Let's discuss it. It's a very quick discussion, relatively speaking. It, it only has to occur for about two hours of floor time. Huh. And then what happens is you, and, and then and then this, a, a couple of more like procedural elements take place and you have a contingent election. Mm-hmm. And that we know is a possibility that has been floated a lot, sort of speculated about um, mm-hmm. in the wake of all of this. But what would then happen is that the House, um, the House delegation would need to vote on who becomes the next president. And it's mm-hmm. sort of taken out of the hands of the people. You know, we, we cast all these votes last month. Mm-hmm. Um, and House electors b- begin to decide. And at the end of the day, if it's Donald Trump or if it's Joe Biden, that's who becomes the president. Yeah. Um, and Republicans basically have this strategy where they see it's, it's a slim shot. It's a long shot, but it's a real shot. Mm-hmm. There's a real constitutional path forward. 
to get Donald Trump in office if a series of things happen and Mo Brooks is really spearheading this movement. Yeah, you know what's interesting? Everybody's talking about a couple weeks left, December 14th, or the December 8th is a safe harbor date, December 14th when the electors vote and everything. But hold on. Actually, maybe a few mm -hmm. more weeks after that. I mean, yeah. you, you could have a, a situation on January 6th where you have a little bit more evidence or, or maybe the smoking gun and Dominion materializes. Yeah, I mean, certainly the entire country right now is learning yeah. a lot about constitutional procedure pertaining to the election. Sophie? Good. Sophie Mann, who is Sophie News, good to see you. Good to see you. All right. Uh, tomorrow is Friday, which means we're going to have a lot of fun on the show, what we do every day. See you tomorrow.